the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, God must bring discipline on Israel for following after other gods. But then he rescues them. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 3, verse 8. Once again, that's Judges chapter 3, verse 8. Now, God warned Israel he'd have to do something if they went after idols, and so he does exactly what he promised. Verse 8, therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. That phrase was hot. It means to spark, to kindle. God was always angry at their sin, but now it sparked out in action. God had to do something. And so he sold them into the hand of the king of Mesopotamia, whose name I shall not repeat. The word sold means to surrender. God stopped fighting them. He gave them up to what they wanted. Life without him being in the way. And when God first removes his hand from a person's life, there's often this period of, wow, I... I did some wrong things, but everything seems okay. In fact, everything seems really good right now. But that's because you have just simply felt God remove his hand of restraint. There's no battle anymore. You're not fighting against anything. It's all easy in front of you now. But that also means he's removed his protection, which leaves you exposed to things you didn't even know were out there someone else's hand who does not love you. And so this king of Mesopotamia comes and invades Israel. That's a long way from Israel. Mesopotamia is Abraham's homeland in the upper Euphrates area. It's between modern-day northeast Syria and northwest Iraq. This was a threat Israel didn't even know existed. It's nowhere near them. Why would they ever worry about a people over 400 miles away from them? And yet, here they are. Here they are. And the children of Israel served this king for eight years. It means to work for, to be forced or slave labor. No details are given about the military conflict. It's clear Israel lost if they become forced labor, though. And here's the crazy part. 
Israel came all this way. And now they're the same spot they were in Egypt. Same exact spot. And that's what sin does. It promises the sky. But when I give myself to it, it undoes all the beauty I had under God's grace. And it makes me a slave again. Now, if that sounds awful to you, good. (laughs) Hopefully it will keep you from ever experiencing it firsthand. Or if you're toying with sin right now, it will urge you to repent, to stop playing around. might be saying, that's great, Pastor Will, but what if I'm already there? Well, there's good news. Returning to God's grace sets us free. Look at verse 9. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Shushan Rish Athaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed against Shushan Rish Athaim. And the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. (laughs) And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord when they cried unto the Lord. The word there means to call out for help, usually in pain and agony, usually when times are really bad. And you know, the tabernacle's still around. The Lord hadn't moved anywhere. It's not like he picked up and went to Europe. He was right where he'd always been. But here's the difference. When trouble came, they could see more clearly again. What in the world are we doing? Now, I read this, and I have two questions. Why'd they wait for eight years? <laughs> and why didn't they cry out to their other gods? The first one I can answer because if you can't relate to this, I can. Because it's crazy insane how stubborn I can be at times. If there were ever an attribute I'd love to remove from my life, it's that stubbornness, that self-will. Stubbornness is irrational. Like you, you walk with the Lord you have joy, you have peace, you know, you have hope, you know, you're experiencing that, that, that just fellowship with God, right? And then what do you do? You stop fellowship with the Lord and all those things go on the wayside. That's irrational. <laughs> like, no, we wouldn't do that with most other things. Like you sit down and you go, you know, this isn't working. I'll just keep banging my head on this anyway. You know, we tend to go, well, well let's, let's do what's working, right? There's that stubbornness of our self-will. It's irrational. It's foolish. But true to its name, it keeps rearing its ugly head. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, Saul was a man who never got rid of his stubbornness. And in 15, 23 of 1 Samuel, at the height when things were good, but Saul was playing around, Samuel told him, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Interesting. Being stubborn with the Lord is the same thing as bowing down to an idol or having iniquity. 
What's iniquity? All sin is bad. Iniquity, though, sin, biblically speaking, the word sin, hamartia in the New Testament, means to miss the mark. Means I didn't wake up the day trying to have a, a, a lousy day. I didn't wake up today saying I'm going to oh, I'm going to disobey the Lord, but you blew it. You were aiming for the mark and you just missed. Okay, that's bad. There's no. It's not okay. It's not okay to do that. But that's sin. Trespass. So when you see the sign that says "Do not trespass," and you go, "I don't care." We know what we're doing full well, and we do it anyway. Iniquity. It's a whole other thing. Because iniquity may never actually reveal itself in action. Iniquity is it's all the sin of the heart. It's all the sin inside that maybe no one else sees. And that's what stubbornness is. Stubbornness might not get me to a place where I'm bound down to an idol, but it's all wrong inside. It's all wrong on the inside. It's all the opposite of what God wants us to be. It's the most ugly of our sins because it's a motive and character problem rather than a bad habit that needs to be broken that we want to fix. Stubbornness is the thing that, the one thing that the Lord says, I, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> Because you've got to humble yourself. You've got to trust me in my ways instead of you in your ways. God will continue to resist you. I mean, sure, God's powerful enough. He can just remove your free will. That's not what I'm saying. But God who wants this relationship with us and wants to work with us, if i am just got stubbornness bound up in my heart, the Lord's like, I can't work with that. Like God can take someone who's got all the other problems and he can say, all right, as long as you humble yourself, we can work on this. I can change you. Oh, and there's that iniquity of the heart, something there that just doesn't want what God wants and refuses to bend the knee, refuses to humble itself. The only way he could change that is to violate our free will, and he won't do that. Now, stubbornness is like idolatry because when I'm doing everything I just described to you, I'm lifting myself up as God, <laughs> even though it's not working. <laughs> even though it's not working, I'm going to keep trying my way instead of your way, God. Isn't that sad? So why'd they wait for eight years? Well, if you're anything like me, I get it. Why didn't they cry out to other gods? That's pretty obvious. Because those gods were powerless to help. Because those gods, funny, were just like them. Just like them. Revelation 4.8 tells us, and we sang it, that the angels, these seraphim, these amazing creatures that God made, they cried day and night, holy Holy, holy. I have to confess to you, the first time I ever heard that, I thought, that sounds like a boring life. Did they do anything else? 
my thoughts betrayed my lack of understanding of what it means that God is holy. It means set apart, distinct, unique, pure, not like anything else and not tainted by anything else. When they're singing, holy, holy, holy. It's the one word that sums up everything they know about God. And how no one else is like him. Now, we don't know that yet. (laughs) And that's why the Scripture says that for all eternity, He's going to be revealing His grace and His love to us. I don't think it will be boring. As each day unfolds, and we get another glimpse or a deeper glimpse. There's no one like God. He's not like us. It's not like any other God out there. You know, if you're a parent and you have kids and you say things like, how many times do I have to tell you? Fill in the blank. There's an awareness that begins to come over you. Not maybe in the tone I just said it to my child, but in the loving words of my Heavenly Father. So different than us. So much better. And when... Israel's horrible circumstances forced them to really think about their situation. They remembered that. So they didn't cry out to their other gods. Why would they? They're just like them. (laughs) They might not come through. They might be bitter. You know, they might be having a bad day. Might be irritable, grumpy that day. Busy. Incapable of helping. Incapable of understanding. Just like you and me. But since God isn't like you and me, He answers. And so when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, a savior, a rescuer, a hero. And so here we see our first judge, Othniel, Caleb's nephew. We already met him in Judges chapter 1 and, of course, the book of Joshua as Caleb was getting his land. We know he's a godly man, so it's Unlikely he's fallen into the idolatry that the rest of the nation did. He was likely one of those few faithful. And one of the things we have to realize when we look at the book of Judges is while the Philistines were the main 
attackers from within, almost every other enemy that hits Israel during this time is invading from without. Well, these invaders are not necessarily big nations. Like that doesn't happen until Assyria and Babylon come along, these big, powerful nations and armies. So a lot of times we see, and you know, they enslaved Israel. It, it, it's not that, you know, their reach was to every corner of Israel. In fact, sometimes it will only be portions of Israel that are under the control of these invaders. In fact, Sometimes these invaders are concurrent, where some are attacking different sections of Israel at the same time. So Judah, of all the tribes, has been most faithful to the Lord after Joshua's death. That's Caleb's tribe. So while it's possible that the Mesopotamians, they enslaved all of Israel, it's more likely they hit what was closest to their angle, the northern tribes. And so that would mean Judah, under Othniel's leadership, could mount some kind of a counterattack at the time. And that's what it seems like happens in verse 10. For it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, Othniel, and he judged Israel. Now, we see here, very interesting, God supernaturally helps Othniel. Othniel was a courageous man. We already saw that from his challenge from Caleb. But here it says that God supernaturally empowered him to lead the nation. And this empowerment that we're going to, it's the first of many times we're going to see this in the Old Testament. This empowerment becomes a big part of those who lead Israel. In fact, it becomes a significant mark of God's call on a person's life, where it will say, and the God's Spirit was upon them, or the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. And it's this concept of God supernaturally empowering or endowing them to do the task that God has called them to. See, unlike us in the New Testament, us in the church, most in Israel did not have the power of the Holy Spirit. It couldn't be their permanent experience because Christ hadn't died yet. Spirit hadn't been sent in that way yet. But God did do it for select individuals when the nation needed it, when he had a specific task that needed to be done. And you know, that's one of the reasons it's so awesome to be a believer today, because we're a kingdom of priests, all filled with and capable of being empowered by God's Spirit. Amen? And so are you moving in that power? Or are you trying to do things in your own strength? We don't have to wait, you know, to say, well, is God going to, is he going to have any special task for me? He does. Is God going to, you know, empower me? He wants to. All you got to do is ask, not do it in your own strength. Well, he judged Israel. He began to govern and lead Israel at this time. And as the leader, he went out to war. Now, Othniel had not been given this position by Joshua or anyone else. It was under God's anointing that he stepped into this role and he called the nation to follow and guess what? They did. And so he went out to war and the Othniel delivered? The Lord delivered this king of Mesopotamia into his hand. And his hand, Othniel, prevailed against this king because the Lord did it. Just like it had always been, right? You know, Israel didn't win a single victory under Moses or Joshua on their own. Not a single one. And so now that God is fighting for Israel again, it's funny, without the Lord, in a superior position, Israel lost to Mesopotamia, right? As free men, with all the access to weapons, whatever they needed at that time, they lost to Mesopotamia. But with the Lord... Israel wins, even though they were slaves. 
You know, one of the ways that the enemy likes to terrify us when we're considering making a really important decision for the Lord, like we, we've been not where we're supposed to be, but we're, we're considering coming back. We feel the pull of the Lord. We feel that love. We sense God, his truth and his, his goodness and his righteousness calling us back. And one of the things the enemy tries to do, tries to terrify us with, is when we, we think about returning to the Lord, he says, you'll lose everything. You do this and you'll lose everything. It will cost you everything. Life will be boring. Life will be awful. But the only thing Israel lost was their chains. Verse 11. And the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. The word rest, it means to be quiet, undisturbed, no more invaders, no more problems. I think that's interesting because God didn't have a new pitch for Israel. He didn't change the way he related them. He didn't say, okay, now let's bargain. I can be just as exciting as all these other Canaanite gods. He simply gave them what he had promised them before. Rest. Rest from what? Well, enemies, certainly. But also rest from the racket that is legalism the racket of idolatry. Trying to put gods in your debt is exhausting and expensive. Being my own God leads to slavery. Doesn't rest from that sound better? Sounds way better. Doesn't being satisfied with knowing the one who loves you and wants to bless you, even though you don't deserve it, doesn't that sound better? This is why we need the King of Kings. Even though we know, even though we know that this is true, I, I probably haven't given you any new information tonight. Even though we know this is true, we tend towards stubbornness, don't we? We need the King of Kings. That's why the Bible says all creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. We groan within for the adoption, and it explains that is, the new body, the new model, and they isn't tempted, and it can't be stubborn. We tend towards stubbornness, and in the idolatry of stubbornness, we thrust ourselves up as king. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So let's remember, there's only one God. It's not you, it's not me. Doing what's right in my own eyes never works, even if it seems to be at the present. We need to do what's right in His eyes because there's no one like Him. He loves us infinitely, promises to never leave us or forsake us despite our failures. And He says, I know everything. So if he loves us, never will bail on us, even though we fail. And he knows everything. The only logical conclusion is that his way is best. That we need to do what's right in his eyes. Amen? Lord, even though we're stubborn, we long for the day. Or I should say, even though we can be stubborn. 
We long for the day when you come back on that horse. You have the name written on your thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who can fix this mess. While you tarry, Lord, you told us to occupy till you come. So we want to learn from Israel's mistakes. Lord, not to complicate a relationship with you, with others, not to make it about a give and take, a legal relationship, Lord. We want to leave behind the racket of legalism and just be satisfied with you, being loved by you, loving you back, walking with you in the cool of the garden, just as you wanted from the beginning. Lord, all of that was made possible by the cross. So Lord, remind us that love regularly. Remind us that you know best. And fill us with your spirit so we can live it out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.